Hi friends. I am incredibly ill this week, as you can hear by the sound of my nasal tones. I'm like a walking advert for Vicks VapoRub. However, this week I am sitting down with Carl Benjamin, also known as Sargon of Akkad. He is a very well-known YouTuber with nearly 900,000 subs and a fantastic political commentator. Uh, genuinely loved sitting down with him today. We talked about the Gillette advert, the most recent Gillette advert and its implications. We spoke about Brexit and just what the fuck is going on. And um, we talked about his deplatforming from Patreon and Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson's subsequent exit. It is uh, one of my favorite episodes to date. Thank you very much for coming on, Carl. I will be doing more episodes with him in the future. If you enjoy it, please make sure that you share it with a friend and go and check out Sargon of Akkad, A-K-K-A-D, on YouTube. His content is absolutely fantastic. So let's get into it. Mr. Carl Benjamin, also known as Sargon of Akkad, also known as Patreon's uh, number one enemy at the moment. How are you today, sir? I'm good. I didn't really consider myself Patreon's number one enemy. I don't know why they're doing this, but um, apparently Subscribestar has started working for people now, so it's kind of uh, an issue that's passed us all by, I suppose. Yeah, now, it's so- it's kind of in and out, in and out pretty fast, right? Yeah, it's been strange. For the uh, for the listeners who don't know what's occurred over the last few months, could you give us the the rundown, the zeitgeist? Yeah, um, basically, Patreon found me insulting a bunch of Nazis on a live stream on quite an obscure channel, and they took umbrage to the way that I was insulting them, and they decided to delete my Patreon account without warning, um, which is strange because I mean the terms of service obviously don't say that they track down things that you do elsewhere on the internet and use that to judge you but uh, apparently they do so be warned if you have a patreon account so patreon was your way of assisting your channel sargon of a card on youtube crowdfunding it allows fans to get like exclusive content and and early access to to certain things and stuff like that and by being shut down from that i'm going to guess that that was a, a a primary source of income that you were driving your from your channel right it was certainly one of the major ways I was monetizing my channel, yeah. yeah. Um, the YouTube has a join feature that you can turn on, but I'm really hesitant to do it because it's something like 30% of the money that people donate through it are taken by YouTube themselves, whereas with, with Patreon, it's only 5%. Yep. And, and with Subscribestar, it's only 5% as well. Okay. Uh, just 30% is a huge amount, in my opinion. It is a big amount, yeah. Well, it's obviously <laughs> YouTube is starting to see a, a gap in the fact that if you've got companies that have agendas and who are potentially going to disenfranchise the uh, the yeah. content creators, so well that what- that was the, that was the point of Patreon in the first place. That YouTube YouTube are the ones saying we have advertisers, therefore you can't say certain things or be you know quite edgy and push boundaries. You know the, there are a lot of advertisers who you know corporate you know sponsors for you know and advertisers who don't want you to be too edgy not they really care i think in my opinion but they would in demonetizing certain videos and things like that and patreon offered itself as hey look you can keep your content going without advertisers without having to get these corporations involved 
will facilitate you doing that. And now they're like, oh, actually, but if you say something we don't like and you don't apologize, then, you know, we, I mean, not that they gave them the opportunity to apologize, but, you know, but the, if you say something we don't like, we're going to kick you off. It's just like, so what happens, okay. what happens when you wake up on the morning of whatever day it is and uh, you find out your Patreon account's gone? it's it's not a very nice feeling i'm gonna be honest you know because i mean i was i was relying on that money quite significantly um i I mean it is it is kind of terrifying knowing that you're living under a sort of damocles you know like i every day i wake up and i check that my youtube channel is still there (laughs) i'm not joking i'm not i'm it sounds terrible doesn't it you know, it's like every morning you phone up your boss just to check you have a job to go into. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's how I feel about it sometimes. And it's, it's, it's my choice. Obviously I'm the one who started doing a YouTube channel, but yeah. you know, it wasn't like this when I started, you know, it, it wasn't, I mean like monkey Jones was a, a young comedian who mocks, uh, he mocked Elliot, Elliot Roger and he actually ended up doing some real, really good work with it because he went through and read his crazy manifesto and things like this. And he would explain why Elliot Roger was such a, you know, a lunatic and he got his entire YouTube presence deleted, um, for being apparently controversial. And it's like, well, you know, come on. The controversial stuff is the stuff that's interesting, isn't it? You know, no one's just watching daytime television on YouTube, are they? They're going to go somewhere else where the controversial content goes yeah. because that'll make that new platform, cough, cough, bit, shoot, cough, um, <laughs> a, a better alternative. I think I think BitChute's got a better model because it, it it's stored like torrents, so it's across thousands of different computers, um, decentralizing it. And I think so they don't have like, uh, you know, they don't have, to have a giant warehouse full of hard drives um, to keep everything on. So it's, I think that's the future. It's just YouTube's currently the dominant market share. But any, anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, it's totally. So you've woken up and you've found out that how many, how many um, subscribers or uh, patrons did you have at the time? About three and a half thousand. That is a very significant number, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite a lot, yeah. And so, I mean, honestly, it's just, I mean, I just laugh because to be honest with you, I'd kind of been expecting something for a while. Um, you and I feel think a lot- the impending fisting, but you just didn't know whether it was from YouTube yeah. or Twitter or Instagram or. Yeah, basically, I, I think a, a bunch of, a bunch of prominent uh, free freedom activist YouTubers have been in the crosshairs for quite some time now. Um and I mean, obviously, it really, it started with the alt-right, um, and I objected to it then. And then it came on Alex Jones, and it was, it's been a, it's been a very slippery slope since then. And the, and it really is the tightening of the sort of noose of censorship. Because, yep. I mean, you know, like, you know, you can say, okay, we're not going to ha- platform Nazis. Okay, well, you know, I, that I can't, it's hard to argue that, you know. I mean, I can sit there and make the same argument from their freedom, but if every, you know, if there's this giant consensus to do it, you're yelling into a gale, you know, and then it comes to someone like Alex Jones and Alex Jones, no matter what you think of him, he wasn't a Nazi. You know, he was a radical libertarian conspiracy theorist Yeah, and he, he was the one going, Oh, they're going to, they're going to shut us down and all this sort of stuff. And then on one day they shut him down completely. (laughs) And it was like, okay, well that's, and that, that was enough to get a lot of people paying attention. Yeah. And then on Patreon, they got rid of me, James Allsup and Milo Yiannopoulos. Um, James Alsop's a white identitarian, but he's not a Nazi. You know, he's not like calling for violence or anything. Milo's just like a conservative, and I, I'm a classical liberal. So it's you know the the fact that they've come, 
they've they've jumped like several new steps closer and tighter to the center yeah and i mean there's there's no particular reason that milo should have been kicked off in the first place and i did actually object to it on the day it happened but everyone else just ignored it and then two days later that was it my patreon was gone as well and now it's like shit because milo's had a really bad run recently being deplatformed like what's terrifying and you you alluded to it earlier on is the fact that your connection to your audience and people who genuinely care about your content and essentially your your friends for for want of a better term if you were to try and like create it in the real world Mm. they are at the behest of a man with a button and the man the man can press the button and when the button gets pressed your friendship with you, what are you up to now? Nearly a million subs on YouTube? You're, yeah, you're, yeah. Coming, you're, coming on 900,000, something like that. So your friendship with, or connection with a million people is gone. Yeah. And One it's button. not just it's not just the, the voice that I had that they're silencing. It's the ability for anyone who wanted to hear what I had to say. They've been deafened in the process. Yes. Um, and the, the, whole, the whole thing's really quite terrifying because almost all of the internet is run from Silicon Valley. And... So I did a video on Starship Troopers a while ago, and I had to read a lot about fascism because the accusation on the book and the movie is that it's a fascist book and movie. It's okay. not. Um, but I, I did end up having to read a lot about fascism to be able to make the distinction because, I mean, you, you know, if you don't know much about either subject, it's easy to just say guns, therefore fascism. But that's not how it works. Okay. Um, but one of the things that um, – fascist philosopher Giovanni Gentili said about the fascist state that I found really interesting is the idea of it being an ethical state um, as in it has a plan you know it it has a goal and so everything the state's doing in a liberal society like we we live in it, everything the state should be t- working towards is the protection of the rights and freedoms of the citizen the state doesn't tell you how to be a citizen. It's there to safeguard your independence as an individual in the world. Um, but the fascist state and the sort of socialist state is not really like that. They they have a goal, a moral teleology, and they they know how they they you know they've got manifestos. They have a series of steps on how they're going to implement these. Because I was thinking, what the what on earth would a liberal manifesto even look like? You know, <laughs> we want everything all the time from everyone. You, you need a grand plan for the world to have a manifesto. And so one, one, of the, one of the ways that Giovanni Gentili described this, I thought was really fascinating. It was like the, the fascist state is wide awake and has a will of its own. And you can definitely say that about Silicon Valley. It's wide awake and has a will of its own. Because you can listen to Tim Cook saying that it's a sin not to censor. And then you can listen to all the other CEOs. And I mean, Jack Conte just openly said, we all talk to each other. We're very open and we share. And it's like, okay. And there's, there's a definitive kind of culture that's come out of the sort of Bay area in which Silicon Valley set. And it's got designs on remodeling the world. And I don't agree with those designs. I I think they're quite authoritarian. And I I mean, it's honestly, they're trying to create the demolition man future, which is a video I'm going to do fairly soon, actually, because it's so scary how unbelievably similar that they want it. But um, yeah, sorry. So yeah, Silicon Valley, it scares me because it kind of acts like a fascist organization. Yeah, I I think uh, it it is very worrying that you have such a high amount of power concentrated in such a small place. Like it's the equivalent of a market monopoly. Oh, absolutely! If there was anti-competitive, if there was anti-competitiveness yeah. uh, legislation with regards to having to distribute the power more evenly geographically, 
because you're yep. totally right. Like you, you end up with an echo chamber. Like we all, everyone that's listening, I'm sure will have heard about how echo chambers exist online. But if you lump this many businesses together and this many CEOs in the same Telegram and WhatsApp group chats, like what, what do you think happens then? Yeah. And, and they, it's normal for that to happen. You know, you form a community with the people in the local area around you, you know, and people of similar status to you. It's natural that that happens. It's not like it's an evil conspiracy, but I mean, when Tim Cook was standing at, at the recent Apple thing where he, the, the viral clip from going around, he looked like a preacher. He he what very he, much. What was he looked, saying for the for the? Uh, he he was he was saying that they had to. I, I I can't remember word for word, obviously, but um the the general thrust of it is that it was on the the responsibilities of the big tech corporations to project their values out into the world and to make sure that the world is run according to these values and the internet in particular because these are the masters of the internet that we're talking about. I mean, T- Tim Cook's one of the most powerful men in the world, and he's saying. We have a particular, and it sounded genuinely religious, you know. I mean, and he, he used religious terminology. He said it's a sin not to censor, and it's like, well, Jesus Christ, man, you know, if we're going to get into the realm of what's sinful and not, then <laughs> I guess you're going to have to debate with the Pope or something, aren't you? It because goes, it sounds so far away from the vision that most people think of when they think about Silicon Valley startup, fuck the yeah. system, guys with long hair and dreads just doing what they want, and it's free love, man, and. You know, like, is this yeah. the is this the vision for Silicon Valley that was started like you know forty years ago? Is that really where it where it was supposed to go? It's it's changed a lot, hasn't it? Because I mean, if you you look at like PayPal was Peter Thiel, Thiel, how you pronounce it, the PayPal Elon, mafia, man, yeah, yeah, exactly, Elon Musk and a bunch of others, and they're not they're not like far left lunatics at all. You know, I mean, they're quite libertarian in many ways. It seems that the far left of just moved in slowly but surely and you know crept you know it's like a i don't want to say a plague but, <laughs> but, um, uh, something something yeah, akin so, something akin to a plague yeah something yeah yeah i was going to be more generous I suppose. yeah fine um, but I mean, you know what i mean they, it's it's over time the, the the nature of it has changed i get that so yeah. you you ended up getting i don't know whether the term is deplatformed from patreon or not but removed from patreon um, and you'd mentioned about it happened with Milo and it happened with some other of your contemporaries, but based on what I saw, the immediate backlash from some other pretty prominent, um, figures online gave lent a lot of publicity and credence to your side of the story. It certainly seemed there were quite a few people who came out in support of you, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the problem is that Patreon didn't even try to really justify it. Um, they, they can't appeal to their own terms of service when doing this. That's the thing. That's why people talk about it as if it's a political maneuver, because it does appear to be a political maneuver. I mean, I've been on Patreon for four years and they knew what I was like when I joined. I haven't really changed. You know, my, my political opinions are not the same, but still in the same vein, you know, so I've not particularly changed there. And I've always been opposed to political correctness and they, they're effective, effectively saying because somewhere else you were politically incorrect on our platform, we're going to get rid of you, even though our terms and service only said it's things that happen on our platform. And Jack Conte literally said, you know, we don't care about what you do on Twitter. We care about what you do on Patreon. It's like, okay, well, that, that seems fairly cut and dry to me. And so when they're just literally reversing this, then 
I mean, how was I to know? I, I possibly wouldn't have been so unpolitically correct had I known that Patreon were watching everything every I move did, you every make. Yeah, job. I mean, you've, you need to be careful what you say when you go to the toilet now. What you <laughs> yeah. like? Yeah. What you say when you're out walking the dog? Yeah. I mean, where where does the where it, does the state is, finish? It is getting quite Orwellian. I I really do think, and <laughs> no, it's it's. I mean, like, I never really thought we'd end up living in some kind of like omnipotent panopticon where you you can no no because like anything you've said at any point in time or space can now be found by internet sleuths if it's on the internet if it's in social media if it's you know i mean like look at cheng yuga's old um like when he was in college or whatever his old blog from the 90s that he had up i mean it was really rude you know it was it was like young men's rude talk you know and you know and i Obviously, he's not saying this to women's faces, so it's not like he's going out and and saying, "Hey, lady, you've got a nice rack," uh, you know, blah 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 blah. Uh, he did kind of sound like Elliot Roger while he was doing yeah. it, uh, but that was all dug up like twenty years later after he'd disavowed it like ten years previously, yeah. and said, "Look, this is something I did, and I'm not proud of it." And, but now it doesn't matter, and that got kicked off of the board of the Justice Democrats, a political organization in the U.S., uh, and him and Karl Kalinsky and. So it's just like it's merciless, yeah. absolutely merciless. And this it's currently happening to Tulsi Gabbard right now. Like she was raised in a a right wing Christian anti gay household. Like actively, her dad was an activist against gay rights, um, and she grew up naturally with a bunch of those opinions. Yeah, as you would expect. Yeah, and she, you know, like she what she going to Congress six years ago, but before then she had already changed her mind on the idea of gay rights, which is why she joined the Democrats. And now she's being just grilled for it. Like I'm seeing that she's such a mild person and I'm just seeing the worst kind of backlash from the very far left activists who are now like, well, if you were once ever against gay rights, then you, you know, you are forever and we're just going to treat you like you still hold yeah. these opinions. It's, it's such a, um, awful. yeah. And it's the, the problem is because everybody wants to have this absolutist, approach to people are either bad or good and the gray area is too gray and any seceding of ground is you allowing them to uh, proliferate these really terrible ideas but sam harris has a great concept where he talks about um a the son of a terrorist over in iraq and he says this son's two years old so let's imagine the free will that he's got he's two years old and he's maybe um, stamping on insects or something like that. And you think, well, is it his fault? And you go, well, no, no. Like, look at look at the people he's around. He's got this aggression. It's really aggressive culture and blah, blah, blah. Okay, roll it forward. He's seven years old and he's at school and he's bullying people. You go, well, is it his fault now? And you go, well, no. No, it's, it's still probably not his fault. He's got this crazy honor culture and he's mm-hmm. very, very highly held within society. Okay, now continue to roll the tape forward. Now he's 15. Now he's yeah. 20. Now he's a warlord at 30. Like, w- yeah. where, where do we... Stop, or where do we draw the line about understanding people's backgrounds? Yeah, no, that, that's a really, really good point and a really good way of laying it out too. Um, at what point do we hold people accountable for the things they believe, and can we allow them to change if they want to? And it I mean, seems surely, like the far left at this not point before they can vote. Like, oh, you know, yeah. do you know, what I mean, if you're not allowed to vote, you basically what yeah. what we're saying to you, what the government is saying to you, is your views are not sufficiently well formed for you to be able to contribute to the national discourse. Yeah, they are. So um, how how can anything from circa that period be used as a 
canary in a coal mine for what you're like as a, a real person. A perfect example. We've I don't got, think you can. We've got a guy who works for us, a Canadian dude called Ify, and I was talking to him the other day, and I said, I've just seen that you've changed, you've changed your Twitter handle. Why have you done that? And he says, man, like I've had Twitter since I was like 11 and some of the shit that's on there, because he's doing law at the moment. He's like, I just don't want in 10 years time, someone to go back and find the shit I was tweeting when I was 12 years old. And he's not got dreams of going into fucking Congress, but this is how pervasive the situation is, that people are terrified of having something dredged up. It's unbelievable. This is why I call it a panopticon, because it really is someone having the ability to see everything about your life if they just care to look. You know, um, I mean, I I tell you what, I am so goddamn glad that social media didn't exist Same. when I was a child. Same. I am just and I, I'm going to keep my son off of it for as long as I can, yep. because, I mean, it's awful. It's awful. The idea that like because I, I think that this is something that's rarely thought about, but like. I think that people's pasts are generally considered to be in, in regular society, sort of a part of their private lives. You know, if something bad happened to you in the past or you did something silly, if you've paid the penance for it, say you went to jail or something, uh, and you know, like three years later, you're going for a job, you know, it's appropriate to leave that in the past because otherwise the person can never improve and they're never given any incentive to improve. And so are currently effectively stuck being a criminal forever. Um, and, but now the way the internet works is that no, any link can be sent to you and is as fresh as the day it was first printed, you know, first uploaded or whatever. And so it's, it's, it's all there and it's going to be there forever. And so we're going to have to be really, really careful about what we say in public, I guess. It's a very nasty trail of breadcrumbs back to a person that you never, or that you, that you no longer are, I suppose. So exactly. am, I, am I right in thinking that Sam Harris has closed his Patreon account now? He has, yeah. And, and so is Jordan Peterson Jordan and Dave Peterson. Rubin. Yeah. So how many, how many patrons do you think are combined between them? I wouldn't even know. It must be a fair number, though. 50,000? Probably, maybe, something like that. I I honestly don't know. It's, it's got to be a lot, though. It's yeah. got to be a lot. And they are now moving across to... Uh, they, they're actually setting up their own platform. Okay. Um, but I don't know what it's called yet. Okay. Um, but I'm I'm obviously going to be looking forward to using it. But I'm I'm also using Subscribestar, which is another platform that was existing before any of this happened. It, you know, so I think it opened in May last year. Yeah. And um and speaking to the cartel nature of Silicon Valley, in fact, um the the woman who was overseeing the deplatforming of my Patreon accounts had worked at PayPal for eight years, and uh, and then she was put in charge of patreon's trust and safety team and then the day or the the day after um i and a bunch of other youtube content creators went to subscribe star which is there are already content creators on there obviously um and they've been operating quite happily for about six months um but we went over there and suddenly paypal and all of the other sort of um silicon valley processing uh firms decided to pull their services from paper uh, from from Subscribestar, uh, as if Subscribestar had done something wrong, or as if we were being censured by Silicon Valley itself, or something like that. It, it, this is why I I really am certain that it's a cartel. It's so it. juvenile, isn't it? It's terrible. Yeah, I mean, if Patreon don't want me on, okay, but what's that got to do with Subscribestar? I mean, like, I still have a PayPal account. You know, <laughs> yeah, still like, buying shit on eBay been, and yeah. I haven't been deplatformed from PayPal. So why, when I or, or a bunch of us go to another platform, do PayPal pull out of that platform? 
It's like, bitch, you still give me money. You know, like you do that. So why are you so I can only see it as being them protecting the Patreon from the competition. Because obviously Subscribestar is not based in Silicon Valley. Yeah. So So has that been reversed now? What do you mean, sorry? The uh PayPal not accepting payments through No, I, I believe Subscribestar have figured out a way to get around it by using some other processor, okay. probably outside of the US to be isn't honest. That, isn't that bizarre that bringing across some of the biggest uh, Patreon or the biggest sort of crowdfunded uh, content creators on the internet was actually one of the worst things probably operationally for about 24 hours that could have happened. To well, yeah, I mean, I, the, the thing is, I don't think anyone really expected PayPal to say, right, we're not going to do business with you anymore yeah. because none of the people who Patreon had done business with had been a problem, yeah. you know. I mean, we'd all, you know, we'd all been on Patreon for years, and Patreon had no problem. And suddenly they're like, oh, that's not politically correct enough. We get, we've got an excuse to get rid of you. And we're not going to let you go to another platform because we're going to get PayPal to... Uh, it's very, very strange. Crazy, crazy juvenile. So I, wa- I want to move on to the most current topic in the world at hand, which yeah. is the, this new Gillette advert, which I'm going to guess that you will have seen. Yes. yes have you I seen have. the British version of it? No, I haven't. Oh, man. I will make sure for those, yeah, who, send are, that across for those, for those who are watching, and I will send it across to you, but... It's the same, but the, the, this is the funniest thing about the whole, everything to do with this advert, that the British version is narrated by a Scottish guy. I mean, like, the Scottish, the Scottish are the most alpha males. Like, I don't know, man. Scotland seems cucked to me. Does it? Oh, unbelievably so. Scotland is unbelievably progressive. It's really bad. Like I and I I I I like the idea of the Scots being a bunch of rowdy, rowdy northern lads. You know, I like the yeah, idea yeah. of them. You know, being being Scottish, that's how that's the how I kind of constructed Scot like exactly the same you did. But like, man, they they the for example, the Scottish government was putting out a bunch of uh, on bus stop adverts, just saying, "Dear transphobes, we are afraid of your transphobia. Dear racists, oh we hate your God. racism." Stuff like this, and it's like, yeah. So, the, I mean, and this is this goes back to what I mean about the ethical state. You know, the state has a goal above just being the protector of your rights and freedoms. Now they're like, look, you're not anti-racist enough. You're transphobic. You need to change. And I don't think it should be up to the government to try and decide your opinions for you. I just don't. I think that's just a moral wrong, and you're giving the state an ethical dimension that effectively puts you in the same camp as Mussolini. So you should probably stop that Scottish government because it's kind of scary. You know, it's not for you to decide what's right and wrong, you fucking lunatics. Yep, good point. So for the viewers who haven't seen this Gillette advert, can you give me the Sargon of Akkad cliff notes on what you think it is, or how you would how would you describe it to someone that hasn't seen it? It's just feminist propaganda. It's it's just one oh one and it's so it's so basic. I mean it starts off with the mean too movement and toxic masculinity. So you know you're dealing with a feminist. I mean the, the author, the, the director, sorry, was um Kim Gary. Kim Kim Gary, yeah. She's a, a famous feminist director. She's who's directed many controversial um sort of short clips like this, uh, that have caused a stir because she seems to take a one-sided feminist narrative on the idea that women are being oppressed by men and men have to change yeah and i mean the way she was like the whole thing conflates like boys roughhousing as children with harvey weinstein's predatory behavior in hollywood and then they have like uh terry crew who again was assaulted by a hollywood executive you know some powerful hollywood exec and it's all tied back as if 
it was because Harvey Weinstein play fought with his brother when he was a kid. It's like, that's not the reason, Yeah, you know, the reason is because he's a disgusting, ugly, repulsive pervert with absolutely no moral standards. He doesn't yeah. represent anyone, but Harvey Weinstein and the goons around him that he protects, you know, that's not reflective of most men. And it's, definitely inappropriate to say that it is yeah it's catastrophic thinking it's absolute worst isn't it <laughs> it's all well, it's bigoted thinking at it's absolute worst i mean you know we we don't just sit there and go black people look at these crime rates you're all responsible yeah. you know that would be ridiculously racist so when they go men look at what harvey weinstein's done you're responsible it's the same logic so yeah i don't no, know they, so the, during the advert you, the bit that really really got me was this I think they're at a barbecue. So there's a bunch of guys at a barbecue doing man things, drinking beer and flipping beef and stuff like that. And there's a couple of kids play fighting, two boys play fighting. And the scene is allowed to continue, then it cuts away and then it comes back. And the suggestion is that men should step in to stop other men or stop other males, i.e. boys, from play fighting. And you're right that the implication is that by allowing boys to play fight, you are fostering this tyrannical uh, misogynist in waiting. Which yeah. is... It sounds ridiculous when you say it, isn't, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. To anyone who either was a young boy or who, who knows young boys, you know, who has children or something like that, it just sounds absurd. Yeah. You know, because young, young boys play fighting is essentially, I, I looked up a bunch, I, I, I went and researched this to, to do the, the video I did on it. Um, Basically, young boys play fighting is completely normal, according to like leading psychologists. Oh yeah, you know? and and I mean, you know, every every man knows this because when they were a kid, they had play fights with their friends too. You know, it's it's just like the way men socialize among themselves and establish hierarchies. You know, and like the one of the one of the studies that I was re uh, looking at um, was eighty five percent of of boys teenage boys could tell when a play fight was going on you know like eighty five percent of the time um they could tell that the fight was going the, there was a play fight because you know they're having fun but and and this was mostly like seventy percent adults as well like men yeah, yeah. and women who had grown up with a brother but women who'd grown up without a brother always thought that the fights were serious and so it's like right okay there really is a distinction uh, here about yes. male and female thinking you know and w women who are not used to what young men are like don't recognize the behavior for what it is mm. but the thing is it's the same with like animals you know you see you know puppies fighting and stuff like this you know it's oh, just shit 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 yeah 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 it's <laughs> it's it's just natural you know and so they and they they panic about this excessively and so the kind of it, it kind of is a, gr a small group of mostly women who don't really understand men and are kind of afraid of them that's how i view mo modern feminism these days that's honestly how i view it because the, it's the just backlash like the backlash on this gillette advert's been insane the um yeah. the the youtube uh upright and down rate was 10 to 1 on dislike and then, really? yeah, it was 10 to 1 and then there was the views didn't increase by a tremendous amount uh, I was watching this on a, a on YouTube yesterday. Views didn't increase by a tremendous amount, and the dislike to like has been brought back down to around about five to one. Oh, really? It was it was two to one when I saw it the other day. Well, in, in, it may have even gone further, but it, yeah, when yeah. it very very first went out, and that may be due to just the first adopters of the people who have taken the most offence. So the, yeah. the, you know, it could be that could be realistic. But there's a lot of accusations of a bit of 
unfair play going around i i've heard i've seen many people saying my dislike has been removed and things like this comments a lot of comments are being deleted and and yeah. pinned pinned ones are, are changing have you also seen i don't know i don't know how much truth's behind this but it's on a there's a lot of websites that are reporting it have you seen that kim gehrig has actually been accused of sexual abuse by two men and five women no i did not know that <laughs> the irony <laughs> I mean, I've, I guess we've got to listen and believe, haven't we? Yeah. Well, I mean, believe the victims. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. So I, I, I'm struggling to find it on anyone who is super reputable yet. I think right. it's probably dangerous to. Um, where I, I will wait for confirmation. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Gillette Misandrist. Where is it? Just Gillette Misandrist ad was directed by an accused paedophile, Miss Kim Derrick. <laughs> One of her victims committed suicide. Oh my Jesus. days! Well, I mean, we'll wait. We'll wait and find out a little bit more about that. But that, I mean, yeah. uh, no matter what, whether that's the truth or not, and even if it's not the truth, it probably speaks to just how bipartisan it makes everything. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's like okay, well, even if someone's made that up, they're like, right, well, this is how far the feminist narrative has tried to push masculinity. Oh, oh we need to come up. Is, yeah. We need to. We yeah. need to come back with something that's even more outlandish and ridiculous and. You end yeah, up with this extremist it, sort of. It's it is it is just an entirely one sided argument that they're having, and the thing is, the only people on the like, like no no one no one in reality thinks that boy boys play fighting is a particularly harmful behaviour because yep. it's always by consent. You know, I mean that you know we're not talking about bullying, obviously. Yep. Yep. Um, bullying is something different, but like. The, the pathologizing of just male behaviors. And then, I mean, in the advert, you know, when the dad goes up and says, we don't treat each other that way. And it's like, well, they both consent. You know, I mean, you could see in the in the clip they're showing you that the two boys have a big grins on their face. Yeah. You know, they couldn't have portrayed it more as boys play fighting. Yeah, it's amicable, better right? if they tried. It's aggressive. Exactly. You know, and so it's not wrong for them to treat that, each other that way because they both consent to being treated that way. You know, they both consent to the sort of competition of the rough and tumble, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, you know, it's fun when I was a kid to play fight with my friends. Well, you know, to- I used to like it. You're totally right as well. It, it helps. I'm sure if we had Jordan Peterson at hand, I'm sure he'd be able to tell us exactly why. But oh, yeah, exactly. Helped, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm waiting for the commentary from him, I imagine, will be a, a thesis on just how wrong Gillette is in terms of upbringing of young men. But, He'll um, give us all the psychological literature as well. well and the thing is, I, although I can't cite it and it's not my field, I've heard him across the content I've consumed of him talking about just how important this is and how it helps young boys to be able to learn the limits of their own strength and yeah. you the proprioception in terms of how your body moves and how other people's bodies move. And mm. it's the games iterated across time analogy he uses talking about rats. And he says if one rat play fights with another rat and then it loses, it rolls over, and then the rat allows it to come back and play again. Yeah, so, yeah and, and you've got to let them win 30% of the time, roughly, exactly. to keep them in, engaged in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I watch a lot of Jordan Peterson too. Well, um, there we go. Yeah, yeah, no, but I, I think, I think that there's some definite, definitely some truth to it, and I, I think it's very much about socialising boys because I think that young men are very powerful. This is what, this is what I think. I, I don't say women, but a certain kind of excessively concerned sort of moral busybody woman 
is usually like. And I can, I can think of many examples of this kind of one. They're not badly intention, intentioned or anything, um, but I just don't think they understand. And I think that young men, men, men are strong. They're, they're a powerful force in the world when they want to be. And this is usually why societies had quite strict rules for young men you know i mean like if you go back to the middle ages you know young men would have been taught how to use a spear and a shield and a bow and things like this and they would have had to you know join you know become part of the local sort of militia or something like that yeah. or got to fight for the conscription king conscription of some sort yeah there may well have been some kind of conscription exactly and and it, it's because it's understood that young men have fighting instincts you know not all of them all the time but there is definitely a part to young men that is naturally designed to fight and i mean I, I watched the documentary i think it was was it michael portillo a few years ago where he effectively went and like uh, some kind of underground gang in london it's like boxing gang you know bare knuckle boxing gang okay and it, it was about the pleasure of fighting because these these men who did this they they didn't take drugs or drink their drug was fighting itself the adrenaline kick of it and I think that like that's what Call of Duty is tapping into, you know that kind of video game. It's that kind of adrenaline high from conflict and combat, catharsis that, almost. No, 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 not quite that. Like, not the like, like the 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 fact that physical competition is also a game. You know, it might become like a deadly you know game, and in, in but it, it, there are set rules. And if I mean in a war, they're the rules of who can kill who first. You know, they they don't have to be rules that are conceptual. They might just be physical rules. But there are set rules, and there's an objective, and both of you are going for it. And it's understood that you're on the same terms. Like the, for the reason it's not murder for to kill a soldier in a battle. You know, it's understood that you're both there to fight. And I think, I think there's a part of the male psyche that is enjoys that. You know, and I, for some men, I mean, obviously you get the sort of weaker men who don't like these kind of physical competitions. And I think it's that kind of, and it, I guess you call it primal if you want, um, but that kind of urge that the, you know, the, the shooter genre is tapping into with kids these days, you know, and I, th I think it's wrong to try and deny that aspect of, of human nature, but obviously the feminists who have got absolutely no empathy for men whatsoever and don't even try, couldn't possibly understand it. And so all they see is, Oh, there is a defective woman as Christine Hoff Summers puts it. And I think she's right on that. I think they do. Yeah. I think what's interesting is the fact that the scalable and much more effective strategy for controlling men or i.e. making men's behavior more holistic and more beneficial to society as a whole would be to remodel it and have, have it almost brought on by desire as opposed to uh, entrenched and locked in by rules. So if you were if you were able to have it be desirable for all men to call out every man that was a rapist immediately, or if you had it as a a rule that play fights were something that was taken pride in, but was done with a, with, with honor and with a, hmm. a sense of decorum, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that's much more scalable and it's much more hmm. difficult because it's enforced by the group, hmm. as opposed to choosing a top-down approach that's a bottom-up approach right which is manifested yeah. naturally by the culture as opposed to a top-down approach which is this it's almost like trying to litigate well, it's authoritarian men. isn't it yeah you know you we, it's it's here are the rules a, a group of people who don't really understand you are going to dictate rules for you and now you're going to feel these rules are chafing you know and like 
So the, there was a, a, a New Zealand TV series called um, Seven Periods with Mr. Gormsby. And it was about this old Victorian, like 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 an old British Empire Army officer had, had moved to New Zealand to teach a group of kids who were often like, you know, a Maori and, but not just Maori, you know, just a group of, but it was a group of boys. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why this thing resonated with me, but there was something about it I found unbelievably charming. And it was because of the old fashioned way that Gormsby, the teacher, treated the boys. You know, he he didn't treat them in the way that boys are treated now. Is it they're not he he didn't scold them for acting like boys, you know. This is fictional, so it's you know, it's it's all a representation, but it, I think there's some there's some truth to all what like the idea of this because like for and I, I it, the way he was the way he would tell them off is something that really resonated with me it wasn't you should not do that it was that's enough you know and so it's you know so when the boys are fighting or playing around being rambunctious whatever it wasn't you know pathologizing them and saying well you're wrong you, you you're not you're doing this because you don't even realize why and you shouldn't do it because it's bad under every circumstance it was just know the limit you know and so you know don't it's not innately wrong to be what you are but it is wrong to go too far in what you're doing and that's i think the best way to try and um talk to young men about how to behave frankly if if feminists want to do that and they do want to do that and it's like okay well then as someone who was a young man has you know a son and uh, a young man has a son and might have a bit more quote-unquote lived experience than your average feminist in this regard don't don't tell men they can't do something just make sure that they are doing it to within a restri- an acceptable parameter yeah you know because then it's not bad for them to be innately what they are yeah speaking of chafing there is a scene in the video where a man is shaving his legs as well i think isn't there oh, you've seen that i i, is, I can't remember there is there? there's a there's, yeah he's got it up on the couch i think and he's shaving his legs which is to- totally fine i've got i've got some i've got <laughs> some friends that are swimmers that might do you know what it is yeah. that might actually only be in the uk version and if it is that's hilarious yeah, um, I don't recall that being in the US. It definitely, definitely exists. Um, oh so God, I'm gonna have to watch that. Imagine, imagine for a second that I have made you the director of the exact opposite advert. So it's women, <laughs> it's women telling women what women should do from an uh, from a completely opposing narrative. Can you can you try and run us through the storyboard of what you think would happen? Well, surely, what I would want to happen, or what I think we'd end up with. No, what you would, what the equivalent would be if they were to take the exact polar opposite of what we've got. Well, it'd have to be something about false rape allegations, wouldn't it? It's like women, false rape allegations begin in the school, you know. Where so we'd 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 have Kavanaugh's trial where he's being f- accused falsely by three people who like recanted their statements and one person who just had absolutely no evidence or no corroborating witnesses or even the time or dates when this is uh, when the uh, the accusations are supposed to have happened it it seems that there was nothing against Kavanaugh and he had unbelievably reputable um female character witnesses on his side to back him up um so it would start with something like that the 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 stress of having to go through this as Kavanaugh and then we'd we'd talk that back. So you know, it's it's my young girl. I don't know. It, it, I, I would I'd be pathologizing some kind of young woman's behavior where she's getting two playing boys with dolls to, and, and yeah yeah playing with dolls or getting to, you know like you know smiling at two different boys or something and getting yeah, to yeah. I don't know yeah. you know so it'd be some something about a natural female behavior that you know that um that I would be trying to I would be trying to make something that they need to stop you shouldn't be putting your makeup on during the morning you should be letting your leg hair grow well well yeah 
whatever it is. But the thing is, I don't think that the reverse should be made. Obviously, no. You know, I obviously it's, it's to illustrate just how yeah insane it is. And I, I, you know, if you were to tell young girls that they should be less feminine, yeah, it'd be awful. Why? I don't know. Yeah, why would anyone do that? <laughs> you know what a horrible thing to do. Like, stop playing with dolls. Like what you are. Yeah. So, no, you're not allowed. To, you're not allowed to have your own choice. I don't know. I, it's it's a uh, it, it really is an interesting one. So the uh, the I guess that this speaks volumes to just how pop culturally we are at the moment. But the fact that Brexit sits below the Gillette advert on my list of things that I wanted to talk about today. <laughs> but um, can you give us the Carl uh, Benjamin rundown of, of what's happened over the last week? Um, okay, well, the, the, Theresa May is a massively unpopular prime minister, but the Conservatives are terribly afraid about losing their control over the government. And so they have to back her. But what she's, what Theresa May is proposing is so uh, outside of the bounds of reason to the hardline Eurosceptics of the Tory party that her position is tremendously weak. Um, but she does keep managing to survive votes of no confidence, apparently. Unbelievably so. Yeah, I, but it's it's only because the Tories know that if she goes, they all go because they've pinned their colours to her mast. <laughs> it's like, well, that was a mistake, wasn't it? You know, it's it's really bad. And they're convinced that they have to have a deal. And, I mean, you can, you know, the, the head of the World Trade Organization said, well, yeah, okay, if you, if you leave on World Trade Organization terms, there will be a, a small period of di- disruption, but it won't be the end of the world. And then we'll be able to carry on as an independent country. I would rather take the small period of disruption, even if it means I have to pay more for this or, you know, a flight of mine is delayed or something like that. You know, I, I'll accept it for the sovereignty of my country and we'll figure it out. You know, that's the thing. I have faith in the British people to figure these things out. And our political class just has absolutely no faith in this regard. They're, they're, they're concerned about like, yeah, but what about GDP? And it's like, man, I don't really care. You know, I, I care that we get out of the European Union. I don't want them controlling us. I don't want to be under the jurisdiction of their courts. I don't want their foreign policy to be our foreign policy. I just want us to have left. You know, no more laws, no more interference, just nothing. And I'm prepared for, I'm prepared to watch GDP shrink a bit for that. I'm sorry. It's I, I this is a point of principle in my position and in my opinion now. And the Conservatives don't think that that can be done. They think that they think that they can push through a deal that the European Union will agree to. But the deal is awful as, I mean, you know, you can watch any of the Eurosceptics just excoriate it all the time as being effectively a, a, a submission to Brussels. Because it is. I mean, it puts all of the power in their hands and we have absolutely none. And it would, if it would be better to remain than take that deal, but we have voted to leave, so we must leave. So we have to go on no deal because the European Union have said they're not going to renegotiate at all because they're being utterly intransigent about this in order to try and punish the Conservatives, presumably, and the rest of the country. Rightly, um, so, rightly so on their side. Like if you've, well, if, understandably, if, if you've yeah. made your fucking bed. Yeah, like under, understandable. But the thing is, I think that it's going to come back and bite them in the ass because I think that what they expected is they could beat Theresa down into into proposing almost anything and they did and she has but she can't get that through parliament so they're not going to get the deal they want and there are going to be consequences to britain leaving on a wto brexit and these consequences will be bad there there will be some negative consequences for us but there are definitely going to be negative consequences for them for example um 
was the German finance minister the other day was raising the alarm about the fact that if we didn't pay our 39 billion, that's French, German, Italian and Dutch taxes that go up. Uh, how do you think the French are going to take that? <laughs> probably probably not brilliantly, considering they're still writing. I'm sure the Germans aren't going to be thrilled. I doubt the I doubt the Salvini will even open the open the email. You yeah. know, Salvini's uh, gonna raise the taxes. Yeah, bollocks do I. Whatever. You know? Yeah. And then the next it's the, the Netherlands exit movement will grow incrementally stronger. So Do you think that's coming as well? No, not not in the not in the short term. But um I think it'll fester. Like the same with Brexit, in fact. I think it'll fester for a number of years until people demand a referendum you know um assuming the eu even lasts that long and then then you've got the problem with ireland right so the uh, the irish economy is deeply tied to the british economy especially the food economy and we're talking like hundreds of millions of tons of beef and cheese every year and if we don't carry on trading with the eu in the way that we did before if the eu says we're not gonna we're not gonna you know we're gonna put tariffs on you etc etc then they're worried that we're going to start getting beef and cheese from South America, which will actually make our beef and cheese cheaper than it was, and it'll destroy Ireland's economy because the money that they would have taken from us is actually now going to go to Argentina and Brazil and places like that. And it's like, well, there we go. It is you an know? interconnected house of cards, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the things about this, that Ireland is, it's already said that it's going to have to start requesting more money from the European Union in the event of any Brexit, which is going to turn Ireland from a net contributor into a net beneficiary of the European Union. So the, the EU, again, loses, it's, it's lose, you know, it's immediately losing two of its net contributors, Britain being the, the second biggest one and Ireland being a net contributor, but obviously not a very big one. Um, but that's, that's all bad news for the French and German taxpayer, really. So yeah, can you think, can you, th <laughs> can you think about what it's like to wake up as Theresa May every morning for the last week? <laughs> I'd rather not. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. Well, yeah, but uh, given. She's done this to herself, though. It's right, This is the most annoying thing about Theresa May, I find, is that it's completely within her power to go, you know what? Everyone's wrong. I'm going to make a decision, and it's it's just going to be this way. Like, we're, we're going to go with no deal. She can, you know, just say no deal. We're going to start. Um, and we can unilaterally do all of the things that we would offer the European Union. So we can say, look, we're not going to do anything bad to, you know, obviously we're going to give European citizens like, you know, rights of, uh, rights to stay, rights to work, et cetera. We'll give them citizenship. Hell with it. I don't care. You know, um, we won't impose a, a border along the Irish, uh, along Northern Ireland, Irish border. We're not going to put any tariffs on your trade. We're going to carry on as normal. And then the ball's in your court. You know, what are you going to do? And then she's the one who's calling the shots. Yeah. Yeah. So she doesn't do it because she's weak. You know? Yeah. I mean, the fact that, uh, the fact that you have a, a parliament, a party behind her, which doesn't support her, no. but which also doesn't have, also doesn't have the balls to be able to get rid of her yeah. is such a, it's the most British situation. Do you not think? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so it, quintessentially British. It really is. Uh, you know, like, like, okay. One one of the things that I've I've always got to remember about the Remain campaigners is they're not cowards. They're just wrong. You know, they they'll go out there and they will march. You know, they'll they'll go out there in large numbers for their cause, and they'll stand there like you know. I, re I interviewed a few the other day outside of Parliament, standing there in the cold and the rain, and, and you know, they stand there waving. It. They they truly believe in what they're saying. You know, it's not that they're. 
it's it's not that you know that they're they're weak people individually or necessarily. It's that they are just confused, in my opinion. But the parliament, it, it really is kind of like a you know a parliament of lambs leading a country of lions, you know. Because yeah. at this point, like I think a lot of people, even if they voted Remain, they're just like, look, just get on with it, you know. Yeah. You know, we we you know stiff up a lip, we can take it. We'll just we'll just go with them. We'll Whatever it is, it. let's just have it happen. Exactly, you know. But the the the, the parliament is a very Remain parliament, and it's very weak, and they they're always kind of you know like rubbing their hands and like looking at one another, oh, you know, passing the responsibility on. It's like God, just just get on with it. Yeah, totally. I I don't know whether you saw when the actual announcement happened. I don't watch a lot of the discourse that occurs in Parliament, but I mean, like to just see how archaic and like <laughs> old and worldy. It is. It's just, this is why everyone thinks that British people drink shitloads of tea and constantly wear things that have got wood on them and, like, <laughs> they've all got bad teeth. Like, yeah. this is this is why. And the guys, they, they're bowing and then they walk forward and then they bow again. And then this mm-hmm. lady reads about the nose to the left and the eyes to the right and then they give it to the speaker and he starts shouting about the nose and the eyes. And you're like... This is going out on the fucking world stage, guys. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I kind of like that, though. Well, know, I I'm, like it, but it's I like it because... It is embarrassing, though, i got to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like it because it's got this sense of heritage, which I yeah. appreciate in a more nuanced way, because I'm British, and because it reminds me of, you know, 1945 and, and, and Yorkshire mm-hmm. Tea and shit like that. But, like... Fuck me. Imagine like the, the, just anyone, anyone. Imagine the Italians. Imagine the Italians watching this. Like, well, or, or the Americans watching this. And they're like. You know, I, I, think, I think that a large number of them view it as um, distinguished. Really? Um, are they that? Are they, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, okay. the, and the thing is, it is in many ways. Like, I, I, I have problems with John Burko and the things that he does, but I have absolutely no problem with the way he rules Parliament. I think it's hilarious. It is hilarious. I love, I love his put downs. It's like we will get along without you if you can't control yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, like, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's you know, it's such a unique and culturally British thing that I I would love to see it go away. I yeah. think it's I think it's adorable. You are and, right, and it, and it, it it is embarrassing if you're British. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Like, because you're looking and thinking, well, that doesn't really represent me. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, like, you know, if it if it went away, that would be something that, uh, looking from the outside, I think it's it's like like when I'm looking at like you know the the Chinese festivals where they you know carting a dragon down the street. Yeah. You know, to me, it's just this wild, wacky thing that I'm watching, but it's entertaining, and I think that I imagine for foreigners, it's much the same. Yeah, you're probably you're probably right. It's the distillation of everything that everyone accuses <laughs> yeah. Britain of being. I remember when I got a when I got my master's degree from Newcastle, there was a mace bearer, and everyone had to doff their caps. Yeah. And this guy's walking in, and I'm like, <laughs> looking, I'm looking at the the timetable on the thing. I'm sat next to my mum and dad, and I'm like, there's a fucking there's a guy with a mace here. Like, I don't know what <laughs> he's going to do. And sure enough, next thing I know, some guy walks in with a medieval weapon, and robes that look like something out of Harry Potter and then he doffs his cap and the the announcer doffs his cap and he just like I, there's a, a real old and worldy cuteness about it yeah but I just it really does concern me about how that plays out on the international stage you know I, I say um, fuck it that I say that you know let's, should we double down on it 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I no, no, that's exactly what that's exactly what I was thinking. Is just Chad doubling down on it. Yep. Just being like, yeah, no, this is this is exactly what. We, and and this is the thing. It's like your countries might be like ten minutes old, but ours is over a thousand years old. Yeah, we've got so, a lot you know, fucking baggage to get over here, man. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Baggage is these are these traditions that we spent a long time building up. You know, yeah, this this so, ridiculous outfit and procession <laughs> yeah. didn't just happen overnight. Give us some, exactly give us some credit. <laughs> Yeah, you try and make that happen in your country. See how long it takes you. Yeah. A thousand years. I'll give you, you know? a thousand years, and you can come yeah. back with a, a man with a mace, yeah. and everyone drinking tea, and everyone can have bad teeth. And... Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, it's it's amazing, isn't it? But, it, like, it's so, it's, I, I do find it increasingly more adorable as as time goes on. Like, you know, I, when I was younger, I used to find it terrible. Oh, God, that's so awful. And, like, you know, embarrassing, you know. But then... I mean, you go to like I went to Rome recently, uh, like see um the Vatican City, and you see the guards in their ridiculous outfits, yeah. And they think, wow, the beef eaters look cool by comparison yeah, to these they guys. Do. Yeah, you know, they... these guys look like like jesters or something, you know. But um, and so yeah, I, I'm I'm down with keeping the traditions, even if they look gay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so they do look incredibly odd, but man. <laughs> Carl, I've absolutely loved today. Thank you very much for your time. I will make sure that the link to your YouTube channel and everything else that we've spoken about are in the show notes below. And I am about to send you the advert of a man, a Scottish man, talking about shaving your legs. Can't wait. (laughs) Thanks very much. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye.